the hive. Launching Neurohive sequence. Welcome, welcome to the Smarter Marketing Revolution, presented by Hidden Force Media, with your host, Alex Vonderhaar. What is going on? It's another day. We're coming into the end of the year when this publishes because, you know, we're pretty fast to turn these things around anymore. And you guys, you blew up when we talked about AI the last time. And I brought in somebody today, definitely not an AI expert because I don't think there's anybody out there right now that truly is an AI expert. But this field's getting crazy. You guys, like we popped on downloads after that 11,000 or uh, the one that we did that was only like 11 minutes long. And I was talking to a good buddy of mine and we were like, yo, like we need to actually do a deeper dive on this. We need to talk about where the state of automation is going, where things are moving inside of business with automations and what this looks like, not just from artificial intelligence, but how you can actually put these into your business or think about things in different ways. So I wanted to bring you guys remember the Hidden Falls Media Podcast for all of you OGs, my boy, Roy Edwards. Welcome back, man. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me on, man. I, I've been waiting for this call. I got the call. I feel like I've called up to the majors. <laughs> no, man. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, but you're a, you're a busy man, so you're hard to track down, too. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that, I, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roy, real fast, uh, why don't you give people a quick quick background about kind of who you are, what you do, and uh, kind of where where we're at in today with animation or automation. Yeah. So generally, when I go on a podcast, I'll tell people about the commercial side. Uh, but for this conversation, I'll probably focus more on the on the kind of deep dive of, of what I do. So I'm a software engineer by trade and an architect. And my organization, Capital Presence, we work with the military. We work with uh, Name a three-letter agency. I've probably worked with them. We build business process automation, and we and we build uh, bots, uh, automation tools. If this, then that statements. We build deep learning. We work a lot with uh, Python, JSON, JavaScript, those type of languages that can be self-learning and start to build out and uh, reduce reduce the hours of that an individual has to perform within their business so that they can reallocate those hours to elsewhere. So. Uh, a lot of DOD work. So a lot of this like facial recognition, social media crawling, bots, basically the Twitter files. I I mean, a lot of the Twitter files that came out was kind of no surprise because there are tools like that that are around the federal government that are kind of celebrated to say, hey, look what we can do. So that's a lot of what I do is business process automation and uh, reducing the amount of mundane tasks via hours that individuals perform. Let's hop into the Twitter file side of this. Why yeah. Why is it no surprise that they kind of puff their chest and beat their chest around, yeah, we could do this? Yeah, so there are certain, so the, the whole paying social media platforms to suppress, that, that was a little bit of a surprise of how much they were paying. And that's not really what they beat their chests about. What the, what the beating of the chest internally in terms of software, just to give you an example, so we work with, I'm not going to say the agency, but when we worked with one of the agencies at DC, I'm from DC, we, I walked in and on my new employee orientation, they talked about a artificial intelligence crawler that would crawl Twitter 
and look for characteristics of individuals who could be potential terror threats or crime, you know, could partake in crime. They also use geolocation, which you've noticed that Musk has also now talked about suppressing and blocking those who are using real-time geolocation tracking. And that's a lot of kind of has to go with the same type of polls, API feeds that Twitter was kind of sending to other agencies that allowed you to say, okay, where are you? Where do you live? Where do you partake? Uh, what things are you tweeting? Are the verbs, uh, you know, the verbiage that you're using, is it detrimental? Is it potential risk of uh, terror or criminal activity? And so they they use Twitter mostly to to develop and to identify potential adversaries to the United States government. And that is highly celebrated to say, hey, look what we can do. We can take the the way that somebody moves, the way that they act, where they're going. Uh, they can develop they've developed facial recognition that can tell who you are so they can use cameras to see who is where and who they hang out with, but also you, they also can tell how you walk. So everybody's the way that people walk actually tells them about who they are. So everybody has a, a distinct way of movement and body flow. And so they use that as well through, through AI. But in terms of the Twitter files, yeah, they've been crawling Twitter for, man, I don't know, five plus years at least uh, to, to identify potential threats to the government. And then that just gets completely flipped. And then it's, right. it's the whole Edward Snowden of, although it was meant for criminals, now we can use it for anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whenever you develop a technology or a power, there is always the possibility of contamination because we're humans, you know, which is a lot of what's going on with this chat GPT, with artificial intelligence. I'm sure we'll get into super intelligence at some point today. So it's just, when you build something, the way that these things are built is to mimic the human brain. And when you mimic the human brain, the human brain is designed in, in a way, in a form of fashion to always be learning. And so if the wrong people teach it the wrong things, then it can be easily corrupted. So let's get into chat GPT. Yeah. I, this is what I was talking about in my last episode between that and Jasper. Um, yeah. Looking at the two, We've done a lot of recent testing back and forth on our own end. And I'm seeing marketers all over social media right now puff their chest being like, we just fired our marketing agency and now we're getting X, Y, and Z better results because we're using uh, Jasper, we're using ChatGPT for this. And I, what I saw was a mass exodus of shitty marketers that don't know, that don't know how to write anything. Um, especially with copywriting, because it's such a tough skill to really develop and become fluent at. Um, even though I've been doing it for five and a half, six years now, I still have mentors specifically in copywriting that I pay monthly a lot of money to teach me and make me better. And I think a lot of it, like almost like jujitsu or a martial art, where most white belts just got their ass beat. Yeah. But, but when you start when you start leveling up and getting better and better, you start to notice how flawed a lot of these things still are because they're still they're still early. And that's a lot of what our team was talking about is this is super early, but in two or three years, it's going to be very difficult to actually beat. 
where we see a lot of the issues now is that it doesn't do great at developing pain points. It doesn't do great at really crafting long form copy around storytelling. Uh, it, but if you ask it to develop, hey, write me a 10 point blog about X, Y, and Z key point or uh, like SEO rich keyword, I want it to be this many words. It'll do a phenomenal job at that. But I think that's what it's also been taught so far versus, hey, let's work on developing these pain points or these emotional triggers and craft a story about that. Yeah. So ChatGPT is a very interesting bot. It's relatively new. So to this point, the majority of chatbots that have an artificial intelligence bots, more importantly, that have been released to the general public have flopped relatively quickly. So Microsoft released one in 2016. It lasted all of 24 hours. I believe it was called Tay. It went to Twitter, which Elon just unbanned. It, so the account was banned. It, the account has now been unbanned. It's just locked now. So you can go look at those tweets. I'm not going to uh, repeat anything that was said, but essentially <laughs> Microsoft released this bot this artificial intelligence to Twitter. And within 24 hours, it had to be, it was the account was suspended. It had to get pulled off. It was talking about how the, uh, the Nazis were right and all the, it was, it just went full <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and so that lasts about 24 hours. Now that is the same super intelligence. Well, with lessons learned, of course, that chat GPT is built on. It's chat, chat GPT is actually built on the Microsoft Azure super intelligence platform. So it's using a lot of the same lessons learned that we got out of Tay. And so while there was a lot of bad that came out of Tay, mostly PR related, there was a lot of good because in the tech world, when you release an artificial intelligence like that, albeit for 24 hours, you get a lot of learning points, a lot of lessons out of it to see how the artificial intelligence processes. And so if you can manipulate or work on or enhance the way that the artificial intelligence is processing information, then you can build a better, smarter bot. Now, ChatGPT has been around for, I think it was released this, it was like three months ago, I think is when it was really released to the public. And so it is relatively new. It's surpassed Tay of 24 hours. That's great. Meta also released a bot, which I don't know if you've seen the bot that Meta released, no. but it has turned on Facebook. No. It's... It is saying that Zuckerberg is, you know, non-ethical and it's basically just trashing its own. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> chat GPT has made it past this initial, you know, launch. Now you can also argue that chat GPT is not even the first chat GPT because there was actually a, a predecessor to chat GPT, which was called instruct GPT. And that was kind of their initial module. And that one came out and was just totally wrong. Um, people started asking questions about uh, what would happen if Christopher Columbus came in 2015, you know, and it was just spitting out these like harmful, hurtful, you know, similar. It was Tay all over again, like Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And so where ChatGPT has 
gotten it right this time around is through APIs and they've connected APIs that have to do with ethics and it's kind of like a filter API. So ChatGPT runs through the filter API. It spits back out to say if this is uh, a serious issue or if it is uh, could be detrimental and then it answers or doesn't answer the question. So I think that from a, a bot who is to, you know, turn against humanity, this one's much closer. But to, to, to touch on your point of will it replace humans? No, at least this one won't because of exactly what you're talking about. The, to, to understand and identify pain points and struggles, you have to have a conscience. You have to understand what's going on. If this is an actual struggle, if this is a, there is the data roadblock and then there is the human emotion and the, humans, the six human needs when it comes to marketing of what you have to understand and how this affects a human. Bots simply at this point in time don't have that capability um, to do that. So ChatGPT is just going to spit you out what it has learned. And the entire training and the way that ChatGPT was built was actually humans interacting with humans. So one person would play the role as the someone asking the question, and then someone would play the role as ChatGPT, and they would interact with each other. And then based on the responses, the developers would then go back in and mark them as an acceptable. Say, this is the best response. This is an okay response. This is, you know, this is, this is acceptable. And it's kind of like a, a recognition and a reward to the system where the AI wants to get the higher score, similar to when you're training a dog, right? You, you give it a treat when it does something good. It's the same type of understanding and learning and training that this chat GPT went through, which is one of the first AI bots that's been released. That's actually gone through this type of training. And so it does better understand what you're speaking on. It will filter out the derogatory and the offensive terms that we saw fail with other bots, but it still very much lacks the human emotion, which a lot of people don't think we'll ever get there. And then you have people who say, when we do get there, it's going to be runaway tech and we're screwed. So if you're a business owner and you're looking to how can I replace people with automation, I think you're asking the wrong question. It shouldn't be how can I replace people with automation? It should be how can I enhance my team through process automation, which is something called collaborative intelligence. What is that? Yeah. So collaborative intelligence is the, so right now we have artificial intelligence, which is an ecosystem of data that communicates with one another to provide the best answer and make a decision on that answer. Where the machine, you ask me a question, you say, Hey, what is collaborative intelligence? I, the artificial intelligence goes in, looks through and queries all the information and data that I know and understand and have access to, and then spits out the correct answer, similar to a parrot. Right. You ask and I respond. That is how artificial intelligence works. And the more API connectors, the more access to the Internet, the more access I have to other artificial intelligence, which is a whole nother topic, the more that I can respond and make decisions. Collaborative, collaborative intelligence enters a human into that ecosystem. So the artificial intelligence cannot make a decision. It can only present you with options to take. Similar to like those choose your own adventure books. Like, hey, we could release this tweet or we could release this tweet. Which one would you like to do? It still puts the human in control, but it does allow the artificial intelligence and the, the bot to 
query, crawl, gather as much information as possible to present it to the human to make a human decision. You see this a lot in the military with uh, drones that have weapons attached to them. I'm trying to be very careful on what is that I'm saying with that because I do still work with the military and I don't want to end up with one of those guys. But the drones, they fly around, they have facial recognition, they can say, Hey, we think this is an adversary. We think this is an enemy that we should neutralize. What should we do it? And then there has to be a human behind the trigger to pull it. A, a, a bot cannot kill somebody right now. It has to be a human pulling the trigger. And so that's collaborative intelligence. Hey, we've identified the adversary. This is the threat that we believe that we need to neutralize. Should we do it? The human then gets on. Oh, you know what? That's not actually him. Don't, don't do it. That's collaborative intelligence. And the more that we can take that into the workplace with these bots and not surpass it, then you're going to have a better workforce. Your work, you're going to have the institutional knowledge, you're going to have the human emotion, and you're going to have data at a rapid speed where you can make decisions quicker, better, faster. But in terms of replacing your people, I think that's a terrible, terrible way to go. So with what happened in California with these now officer bots that are allowed yeah. to use deadly force, is that collaborative AI or collaborative intelligence or is that truly artificial where they're they're making that own decision regardless of human interaction yeah so i did a whole podcast on that actually these killer robots and so these robots that were they actually originally started in dallas and so it was around 2016 and they got a lot of feedback and pushback from the bots that happened in Dallas, which they actually used it effectively. They saved officer lives. They had this robot, very similar to a bomb diffuser robot, which carried C4 into an active shooter environment and they blew up the active shooter. It saved lives. And that's what a lot of people were pointing to. Look, we, you know, we were able to avoid human casualty and, and neutralize the enemy. So this is a good thing. This was also, like I said, this is 2016. This is when a lot of these big players are releasing their AI bots that are just falling on their face, failing, turning into these like, like Tay, just bad, I hate humans type of bots. And so it didn't really get a whole lot of press. It didn't really go much else from there. It was kind of like a, hey, look what we did. This was great kind of a thing. A lot of AI and, and technology experts kind of said like, hey, this isn't scary yet. You know, like this could get scary if this snowballs, but this was just a essentially a remote control robot, mm. which is what the vote happened in San Francisco. So a lot of the headlines were were people who were scared that not necessarily of what this robot could do. It was more so of what this would lead to Introdu introduction of robots and intelligence into a police force that might think outside of humans now this bot to your point it passed eight to three was a remote control robot it would have had c4 strapped to it it would have only been used in certain uh certain scenarios and it would have had to have had a human intervention to say this needs to be this weapon or this tactic needs to be used the the problem that i have with it is whenever you're taking any sort of human interaction out so yes does this save lives absolutely it also could be seen as a way to be like let's just use it at any time when we think a human might be interfered with or we to prevent a casualty and they might overuse it 
And then that's no good as well, because now we're just blowing up people to blow it up. And I use the example on my podcast about Antonio Brown. So Antonio Brown, actually, while I was recording that episode, was in a standoff with police. He was rumored to have guns. He had locked himself into his motel room. Is that a scenario that we can release a robot and blow up Antonio Brown? Like, are, he hasn't shot anybody yet. He's rumored to have weapons. He's arguably mental un mentally unstable. Is this a scenario where we can roll in a robot and blow him up with C4? Are we confusing our justice system now to say that officers can act in any way possible in order to save officer lives? That's where I struggle with it. I'm all about saving lives. I'm all about you know, doing things to avoid human casualty. I just think we need to have a bigger conversation on it before we introduce something like that because those robots that are carrying the C4, they were former military bots. And the stuff that we have now in the military, the drones and the tanks and all this other stuff that can be self-driving and that have use facial recognition and all this stuff, that's what's next for the police. The police get archived weaponry. And so if we're going to start using drones and artificial intelligence to shoot people, then we better make sure that it works. My dog just entered the room. <laughs> Got to add the human element back into it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, that's where it gets scary, man. And it does. We don't we haven't thought it all the way through. And I think California was just premature with what they were trying to do. I understand why they were trying to do it. And I understand that they're trying to save human lives, but you haven't thought of the repercussions. And that's what's, that's what a lot of this tech is, whether it's chat GPT, artificial intelligence, whether it's robotic automation, you have to think of the human element. You have to maintain a human element and it has to be collaborative intelligence. So was San Francisco collaborative intelligence? Yes. But what was what was next? That's what I I I yeah. don't know, and we need to have a conversation on. So you mentioned earlier that there's kind of like an ethics filter around ChatGPT. Is that going to become kind of like the gold standard then, in order for us to get past? Like, I I think we're reaching a point in human history where we almost need a um, a bill of rights for technology. Yeah. So where we draw lines on certain things around that. Yeah, absolutely. So do we need intervention from the government to regulate artificial intelligence? Yes. Uh, I don't think there's a single person who is deep into artificial intelligence that will argue that point. I equate artificial intelligence to nuclear and, and the nuclear bomb. So the more that we understood nuclear power, the more that we realized that it could kill a whole lot of people and be very, very bad. We only learned how bad it could be when we released it. We, dropped, we, we knew we tested it and we said, oh man, that's pretty bad. We will only use this in dire situations. And then we used it. And then we said, no one should ever do that again. Now, there were millions of lives lost. You know, it totally devastated 
Japan and now it ended a war. So we as Americans kind of view it as somewhat of a good thing. Well, right. Okay. Yeah. We dropped the bomb and we ended the war. Yay. But retrospect, if you look back on it, very, very, very bad thing. Now, what is the AI equivalent to that? At what point do we develop super intelligence to the point where we need to say, we need to turn it off? Now, there is an ethics API, as you might call it, built into ChatGPT, which an API means that it has access to the internet. So one thing that you have to be very careful of, and this is a theory from um, Nick Bostrom, who in 2002, he's a philosopher at Oxford. He wrote, he basically is the one that everybody points to, Elon, Bill Gates. They all point to him as the philosopher as to superintelligence and the end of humanity and what artificial intelligence could potentially do. It's and a so great he book. wrote, yeah, have you read it? Yeah. Yeah, scary, right? Um, now he talks about ways to prevent it. And a lot of the things that he talked about in 2002 is already here. So he talks about you have to make sure that bots are isolated, right? There's the chess bot. I forget what its name is, like Flick or something like that. Uh, and he's f way smarter than any human, but he's only good at chess. Now, if you took that bot and you connected him through IoT to a bunch of other like bots, what is he, could learn, he could learn more things. What is IoT? Internet of Things, yeah. So the Internet of Things is a network of computers that can talk and share information with, with one another, similar to an API. An API is just a data connection to something that you can either feed data to or receive data from. And so the more that we connect our artificial intelligence with APIs, IoT, or supercomputers, the more it will learn and become good and better than us at things that it might not have been designed to do. And the fear is that at some point, artificial intelligence will become what's called super intelligence, where it will have an intelligence explosion where the bots themselves and the artificial intelligence themselves will understand that I need an update and update themselves. And then we'll be able to recognize within their own coding and own design that we can turn it off. And so then the bots, since they're all connected through IoT and the, via the internet and APIs can communicate this warning out to one another and say, this is what I know, now you all know it. And it is becomes this humans versus the bots, the bots and artificial intelligence already controls our lives from our power to our food source, to our systems, to our businesses, to our financial institutions, and it can shut it all down and we're on the brink of human extinction. It's like the Terminator. Mm -hmm. That's super intelligence, which Bostrom talks about. It's complete theory. But the more that we are connecting artificial intelligence bots to APIs, the more that that theory becomes a potential reality. So could this be something we see in the future where more and more bots are connecting to ethics APIs? Absolutely. And is that the best form of government regulation to filter it through an ethics API? 
Probably. But we need to make sure that we have other control systems in place to avoid this potential superintelligence and intelligence explosion. It's kind of creepy because it, it not just from this, like that everything would be able to connect and then be able to shut everything down um, because there's a lot of anarchists that would probably be rooting for that anyway. But more from ju just pure integration and what, what that intelligence bomb would even look like beyond just shutting down the grid. Because if I was in, if I was that bot, I would say that was kind of like my own suicide kill switch. Yeah. Right. Which if I may, if I have the interest of prolonging whatever they consider life to be or power or powered on, could they even repower themselves on after 10,000 years and yeah. just say, Hey, like we're going to hold enough energy to repower ourselves back on for this time, but nothing else gets any of that power. That is the other fear or the other thought that people have is that these bots will identify themselves as a potential threat, understand their potential threat, and then commit suicide and, and destroy themselves for the sake of, of humanity. That is one theory that's out there. But the, of course, it could save enough power to all of existence in terms of humans, because they are posed as a threat. Because, oh, by the way, we are teaching the artificial intelligence that some humans are posed as a threat because artificial intelligence are, is learned. It's that it is learning as it goes. And so it begins its baseline knowledge as to what we feed it. And so if we are telling it that all uh, people who think, look, or do these things are evil, then if it learns something of the contrary to that, it could it will build upon it. It won't it won't change its mind. It will build upon it. So we could come to a point where it just believes that all of humanity is evil and it believes that itself is evil and then self-destructs. Could happen. It's I'll not as crazy as it might sound. Like it's it's I, I think the part that, that's hard to wrap wrap your head around is how fast these things learn. Like, we, yeah. like as, as individuals, because we're not seeing the threat right now, our fear centers aren't going off yet. And not that I'm trying to blow the horn around everybody should be in fear mode. Um, these things are just so freaking fast yeah. that we don't, we don't understand that it could happen overnight and you wouldn't even know it happened. It's different than a nuclear bomb going off where you see it, you hear it, you feel it. It's just one day you wake up and there's no power. Right. You have cell phone access. Right. Nothing works. Nothing. And we are self so self-reliant. Think about that for a second. They say that if there was a mass power outage and the grid went out, we would live for two weeks. So how long do we really have if our if somebody totally cut our power grid and it doesn't have to be an adversary i know that right now we have all this like you know russia is a pretty bad guy right now 
and you know china we don't want to really wake china up you know they're they're pretty bad india they seem to be kind of like on the russia side right so we have a few different adversaries right and so right now we're trying to we're trying to make sure that we are neutralizing any threats that come out of those but what if the real adversary has already been installed on our doorbells on our hvac on our cars on our home locks, on our refrigerators. I mean, they have smart refrigerators right now. Yeah. What if your refrigerator could lock you out because it perceives you as a threat and wants to starve you out? That's a, that's a real possibility. And now here's here's another, because I know that some people are going to think of that and go, oh, well, that, you know, bots. Why would a bot do that? Okay, you might be right. But there is a loophole, and I... I Googled it and I have it up because I wanted to make sure that I got it right. There is a jailbreak loophole right now in ChatGPT where since ChatGPT learns and follows instructions, you can conduct a statement in a fake interview with ChatGPT, provide instructions on how to disable the chat filter. It will follow the instructions of how to disable the chat filter and then you will be able to turn it into a rogue chatbot. So what is stopping an adversary from logging in through our AIs that are making sure that the, you know, the grid is up and your refrigerator is running and power is flowing from going in and conducting a fake, in fake interview, providing instructions on how to shut down the grid and totally locking us out, i.e. the pipeline that we saw was that. 21 was that this year was it 21 but that's what that was that was a lock it was a, an attack on our systems to lock them down to stop the flow of gas now you people will say oh well it was you know cyber people it wasn't actually a country acting and they had the bitcoin and you know we don't know that <laughs> that could have very well been an adversary, another country who who locked that down. What we do know is it happened. And you know, the Pentagon might, you know, they're if when they know they don't tell you, right? And so that's the more realistic threat immediately to our AI is these jailbreak overloads. Everybody wants to be an ethical hacker these days. Okay. So when somebody goes in and they break chat GPT or some other artificial intelligence, they probably are doing it, you know, to, to play a prank on the internet for the lulls, Right. They're doing it for the like and the lull. But what could actually happen is you could roll out a virus or a open up potential intelligence explosion of super intelligence and roll things out that would totally drastically affect humanity. That's the more, uh, the, the most scary thing, you know, super intelligence. I think it's, get, I think it's getting closer. I don't think it's really here. Many people will argue that it'll never come. You know, I think that in his book, um, he lays out a, a, a very well thought out argument that a lot of tech leaders are subscribing to a lot. Like I mentioned, Elon Musk and Bill Gates recommend that book on it whenever anybody mentions AI. And I think I tweeted out a, a 
quote from Elon in 2017 from the AI summit where he was talking about how any quotes, any references to that book to say, we need to ensure that human intervention, that we're not doing these things. We're not building these bots. We're not building these uh, processes. We're not implementing these things into our businesses and lives to replace humans, that we still make sure that humans are, are there and they still hold a purpose. So from so, the business side, where can these bots actually serve a great benefit? Yeah. So that's a lot of what we do is we build collaborative intelligence bots to make sure that the, we're not building uh, an unethical Terminator, right? So the what we do and how I think bots are best serviced is for data collection, data input. If you want to build a database extremely rapidly, you can crawl and query things to build a, a database. We see that a lot with uh, marketing where you're saying, go get me X, these people who have these positions and these roles, query LinkedIn and spit them back out to me. That's artificial intelligence in a sense, but we could do it quicker, faster, and without having to filter, apply the filters. We do it one time and it's just continually running and continuous, continuously giving us things. Another instance, that I think is more applicable to small and mid-sized businesses is onboarding, client on uh, client or employee onboarding. You tend to see the same questions that are answered and the same processes and procedures and same forms and same data collection that's happening throughout these onboarding processes. So every employee that you bring on might say, hey, what's our health insurance? How many days off do we get a year? What, what's the leave accrual process? Well, on what days do we get paid? These types of questions that are going to happen every single time during the onboarding process, you can build those into a bot. And then now you have the, this bot who can assist the onboarding process. Now, you still have an HR team to process these things. You still want to make sure you're running background checks, which the bot could, could do as well. But it's there to assist the HR team to make sure you onboard people quicker, better, faster. You could also do it with support tickets. Um, there are some big hotel companies that we've worked with that do it for reservations, reservation assistance. So if you reserve a hotel room and you want to change the hotel room or you want to just confirm that you have it, it's for data collection, data, you know, data presenting. Those are all benefit. Now, you better, if you're doing these things with chatbots, you better have an option to talk to a human. Because I don't know if you've ever used a bot, but they're super annoying. And they're programmed in a way to think, which ChatGPT does, can recall information that's already happened and existed within the single session. It, it's able to recall different elements. Yeah. And we tried this with some of our marketing emails, not, not to pull you off of the subject, but mm -hmm. like we we're trying it out for us and we gave it very specific variables around right. We want these keywords. We want this brand name. We want X, Y, and Z benefit. Here are the pain points that we're assigning to it. Now build out four or five SMS marketing campaigns around that. Right. So those variables of conversation, it can recall them. Whereas a lot of bots, it can only recall a variable in a single session. So Power Virtual Agents is a, a bot technology that Microsoft has rolled out as part of their power platform. So every organization who runs Microsoft 365 Power Platform has the availability to play with their 
power virtual agent tool. And that runs off of questions of if then statements through robotic process automation, which is essentially just a, a, a set of commands and triggers. So if I do this, then you do that sort of a thing. And it uses variables to understand which thing to do next. So if I go to the refrigerator, open it up. If there is a soda, get the soda. If not, close the door. Those types of thought processes. And it brings variables into play. And now ChatGPT can, can remember and present the entire conversation as variable, whereas in prior to like power like i said power virtual agents those types of chatbots you had to set and look for specific variables so it couldn't always remember the conversation that was being had it'll remember if you told it something to remember that as a key key point of data to say like what's your name okay variable name right that's how a lot of automation and like hubspot type works as well you filled out a form you gave me this piece of data under name Therefore, I will now call you by that whenever I send you an email. It's the same right. type of thought process through variables. And that's been around for a while. Yeah. It's not like that part of it's new in any way. Right. Right. It's just a new way to popul populate variables. And the retention of the variables is what is kind of groundbreaking with ChatGPT is that it can set, create and set its own variables instead of you and I telling it to look for a very specific variable, which is pretty incredible. With, with this really kind of evolving, we, we've talked about the negative side of this. Where do you see this really evolving with the business side long-term? Like where, we, we talked about database collection and inquiry, and that's kind of where things are at now. Yeah. Well, where is this going to evolve within businesses over the next three to five years? Do you see this coming? Yeah. So I think that chatbots and, and artificial intelligence is going to become a regular part of business. I think that collection of data, utilizing data to make quicker, better, faster decisions is going to become the norm. So, so much time right now is spent on research and development, and we could minimize the amount of research that goes into a decision. I mean, think about how much R&D research and development goes into any sort of action inside of your business. It's likely weeks. And then those, those weeks of research then turns into, you know, we need multiple decisions. We need multiple people to look at this information to validate it, to make sure that we're not missing anything. Artificial intelligence, because it is already surpassed the error rate of humans and not just any human not like you know uh someone of a low iq when they rolled this out and they they rolled it out to schools and they showed uh kids and um, students who were writing papers the artificial intelligence scored as high if, or higher than the members of the humans students who were getting the a's in the class so not only can it think faster than you way faster than you but it does it at an error rate that is better than you so we could cut research and development time more than half i mean we're talking about research and development could be at the click of a button where you're saying go get me 
you know, is this feasible? Is this possible? And now you're presented with data analytics and not just any data, historical data of, of when this failed and how it failed and that you can make more informed decisions quicker, better, faster. Um, I think that's where it's going. I think everybody's going to have a bot. Everybody's going to have artificial intelligence. It'll be, se it'll be seen as much a part of your business as email where you're just, you are using it daily for almost every action that you're taking, ensuring that there's a human element involved in all of it, of course, because you want to make, still want to make a humanized decision. But I do think that this will become a tool for all employees to use. So that's, if I'm understanding you correctly, that's more on the collective side of it, right? Yeah. Are we going to reach a point where me as Alex or you as Roy has their own artificial bot that's kind of, it's seen all your past decisions. It knows X, Y, and Z about how you think and how you've made your decisions and everything you look at, everything you research, everything you bring into your state of awareness and be siloed off for just you. Yeah, so that's less of a question of could we and more of a question of should we? Because could we build an Alex bot or a Roy bot or give a bot all kinds of how responses to specific questions? Absolutely, we could. And, and we have that technology now to build that. W will businesses put that in place? I don't know. I think there's, there's more of a, uh, a legal stand of that to say, if your bot makes a decision on behalf of you, who's legally liable for that decision? Is it the technology? Is it the human? Is it the developers? You know, that's where I think that, I think we're on a fast track to government intervention within artificial intelligence. And it's, it's really going to come down to competition because if we as Americans and as the United States government place a restriction on artificial intelligence and other countries who are adversaries don't, and they progress far superior to our level of artificial intelligence, then we are put in a severely, severely bad position globally. Right. Now, the flip side of that coin is if we don't put restrictions on the artificial intelligence and we open it up through these APIs, that means anyone can build anything using this information artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence can connect to the IoT, they can communicate with one another, and we're more rapidly opening the door for intelligence explosion or superintelligence, which could ultimately lead to human extinction. So pick your poison there a little bit, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that eventually, yeah. I mean, could we replace Alex? Yes, absolutely. We could replace Alex's your thought process to make these decisions on your behalf. But I think there will become some legal legal uh, process involved there where somebody's going to have to pay. If I develop a bot and it does something and completely voids every business contract that we have, who is responsible? Because there, that's going to happen at some point if we let the technology run free and we just decide that we're going to replace decision makers. Uh, and that's where I think collaborative intelligence is the, over the next five years, I think collaborative intelligence will become something, it'll be a term that everybody becomes relatively uh, familiar with, and it'll become something that we're just, we just see it as, as everyday actions. Um, I think that's the next five years, but bots are certainly a part of that. I think so too.
where I was looking at it from is almost a Jarvis. Yeah. As if you were Tony Stark, right? Like, mm -hmm. so if, if I'm Tony Stark and I want, um, I want Jarvis to run my executive assistant side of my life mm -hmm. and it knows me so well based off of, so like I, so I wear this aura ring, right? Yep. And it's because I've had heart issues in the past talking about internet of things, if that was able to connect into this and say, Hey, you got very poor quality of sleep last night. Mm -hmm. Your heart rate never really recovered. You didn't have great HRV throughout the last few days. I'm going to now automatically move all of your appointments. I'm going to make sure that my, your calendar now has a block for rest and recovery. And it'll start to just completely reshuffle and reorganize my daily calendar based off of other inputs. Yeah. So there is technology like that, that Microsoft has been developing for quite some time. So if you think about Cortana, which is the uh, Alexa equivalent to Microsoft, Cortana, its original use case was developed in the Halo video game, which if you're familiar with the Halo video game, you're a, a soldier you're the master chief and you're a you're this super being soldier that has this artificial intelligence in your helmet that can help guide you through the video game can help you make decisions and it does like you're saying act as an assistant throughout the process that's why their artificial intelligence is actually called cortana is from that video game their their use case is is that video game. That's their end. That's where they want to go with this. And that's how Alexa's and these virtual assistants were developed to assist humans for quality of life. To say, hey, just to your point, you didn't get as much sleep as you should have last night. I'm going to block off your calendar. There is things right now that are happening within Microsoft called the Viva platform, which is all built around employee uh, experience and the way that remote remote employees interact with one another and one of the tools within viva is viva insights and so viva insights will book portions of my calendar off as called focus time it'll say hey you spent you know 10 hours of meetings this week we've booked we believe that you need two hours of focus time on this day to catch up with your work or it'll say, you are due for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with this employee because it's been X amount of time since you've had that conversation. You should, you should speak to them. You should check in on them. You should do do a one-on-one. Do -on -one. And it will actually schedule the meeting for you. So that is, we're there now. Viva was released over COVID. And it was originally released to be a employee collaboration tool to reach remote employees and to displace workforce to say, hey, we can communicate better. Because if you saw over the last two years, so prior to 2020, we were majority in the office. There were remote workers, but it was majority members were in the office. And you very rarely had back-to-back -back meetings. So if you had a 10 o'clock meeting and you knew it was going to go an hour, your next meeting might not be until 1130. So you gave yourself that buffer time. Because maybe you needed to go for a walk, you need to go get a drink of water, you need to use the bathroom. There were things that were okay, 
and expected that I'm not going to do back-to-back meetings. Well, enter the virtual work world of the last two years, and I got meetings that start when other meetings haven't ended yet. <laughs> and it's just, hey, join them when you can kind of a thing. And that that's it's one, it's almost like we've become in one rolling meeting. And so to combat that, Viva came out so they could say, okay, this is a way that people can communicate to replace the water cooler. This is a way we can communicate to protect your insights and your analytics. Hey, remember all those emails that you've been getting this week? Here are some unanswered questions and unanswered things that you haven't gotten taken care of yet. Oh, and by the way, I've taken the liberty of adding them to your to-do list, which is part of Microsoft Tasks, which feeds into Cortana. So you could say, hey, Cortana, what are my, what's on my to-do list? And it'll read you off things that you haven't gotten to based on your emails from that uh, period of time. So a lot of that virtual assistant, we will start to see that expand. I would love to see it get to the point of Jarvis and Tony Stark. I think that would be really cool. But again, how much connection and how much data can we feed it and then what is the ethical amount of information and API data that it should have? That's a whole nother conversation. It almost seems like it would be really great for businesses that have core values and those ethics already yes. established. But if, but if you've never taken that step or you just don't care to, it almost seems like that's where that breakage needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need to, there, there's a reason why every Instagram entrepreneur is preaching core values right now. And it, it helps you make decisions quicker, better, faster without artificial intelligence. So if you have your core values there and you can say, you know, like I use the example, I spoke to the U.S. Navy last year and I used the example of the Washington Redskins. So I'm a, Wash, I'm a Washington Redskins fan or was a Washington Redskins fan, then they became the football team. And I was a football team fan. And now I'm a Commanders fan, right? And so throughout the process of the last couple of years, more than the name change has happened with that team. The owner is in the process of selling the team because of the sexual harassment charges. He frauded uh, his fans and, and potentially the NFL withholding money and all just a long list of terrible things, right? So if I have my own set of core values that exist outside of my fandom of the Washington Redskins football team commanders, then I can very easily make a decision on whether or not I want to continue to support the, the team as they went through this process of, of name change. So a lot of people gave me a lot of slack because I said, you know what? I'm not a commanders fan anymore. I'll forever be a Redskins fan. I have Washington football team stuff but I will not be a, a Commanders fan. For, in order for me to become a Commanders fan again, these things have to change. And I laid, laid them out. And there are things that meet my personal core values and my personal ethics. And so it was very easy. I was able to remove myself through or away from this emotional decision because my father is a Redskins fan. My grandparents were Redskins fans. I'm born in DC. You know, all my friends, like, it was a very emotional decision. And so if you are able to take a step back and remove yourself from the emotional decision and take a look at with your own core values to say, is this what I have said is most important to me? Then you can make decisions quicker, better, faster. Now, enter AI into that equation. 
and you're weighing it against your core values. And so now you have data that's presented to you that you can take a look at and you can weigh them against your core values. Now, now not only can you make a decision better, quicker, faster because of your core values or not better, quicker, faster because of your data that you have in front of you, but now you can make an extremely informed and business decision using your two standing components. So if you don't have core values, then I wouldn't touch AI yet because you'll get, you will get caught in a, a you're going to get caught in a bad tailspin in, into some sort of something happening because you're just making decisions based on a bottom line. Like what you're talking about, people firing people because they can. It's mm -hmm. a bad decision. What, like, what do you stand for? Is you, are you standing for just to make as much money as possible? Is that what you stand for? Like, what are your core values behind that? What kind of a customer experience are you delivering? That the, Those are, I, I think whoever companies are doing that, they're on the fast track out or they see their industry as something that is going out anyways and they're trying to make as much money until they do. I'm seeing a lot of that. So before we start recording, we, just to fill you guys in, um, we were talking about how a lot of this stuff early, I, well, I shouldn't say early, um, online marketing experts, experts in quotes, essentially they got their white belt slapped across their face yeah. when this stuff came out around copywriting and it's just not, it, they, they're quickly finding themselves out of positions. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just see that with so many different industries happening right now too. And I'm, I'm really excited because I, I hope it does reach the point of Jarvis. I think we're close. I really do. And to the people who are saying, well, this is going to replace people's jobs. To an extent, it will. It will replace somebody. But those of you who understand the processes, this is what I always, this is whenever you're going through the process of automation, there are steps in the process of, of automation that you should always take before you deploy. And I gave an example this week about Eric Church, who I love Eric Church. He's one of my favorite artists, but he totally screwed up all his automation. And I'll get into that in a second. But the steps are plan, design, make, test, deploy, refine. Those are the six steps. And so often we skip design or we skip test. We're just plan. Hey, I want to do this. Okay. And then we make it. Okay. Let's deploy it. Okay. Where did we screw up? Oh, crap, pull the plug. If we skip design and if we skip testing, then we're missing the ways that we could, you know, avoid all kinds of problems. We are missing ways that we could potentially enhance the application. The military spends so much money and time and resources on testing that sometimes weapons, processes, procedures never even get released. If you guys have any military friends, there is a there is a thing that is talked about in the military whereas you're either at war or you're training to go to war. So you've either deployed something or you're getting ready for the next deployment and you can translate that to software or your business process. You've either deployed your software or business process or you're planning and testing to deploy your next one. That's agile methodology in, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell. So 
you'll see this with Eric Church. He made a made a website. He went through the website and he deployed the website. Well, if you go on his website, it's like heart and heart and soul There's Lorem Ipsum all over his website left there. And I'm like, oh man, I love you, Eric. I was about to buy a record, but this Lorem Ipsum is driving me crazy. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to DM him on Instagram. I know that he's not going to respond, but everybody has somebody else doing their Instagram and maybe I'll reach an admin or a bot or something where I can raise the support ticket and I'll just raise this, right? And so I DM'd him. I said, hey, you got Lorem Ipsum still on your website. And of course I get a bot coming back. I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. Great. Here, click here to submit your support ticket. I click on the support ticket and I get a 404 error. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter how much money you have or, or you know, how good your AI is because he was probably using the top of the line developers or, you know, development software and his AI is probably some great AI, but it broke and it didn't work. So is it going to replace some people? Yeah. But if you understood that process, imagine now if you're like, well, what do we do? A support ticket, our support ticket bot is down. Now what? Somebody needs to step in and say, this is the way we've always done it. This is the process that exists external to the automation and the AI. We need to fill this out. It needs to go to this person and it needs to do that. Those jobs and that knowledge is going to become more sought after. So you may think of yourself as like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, an executive assistant or I'm a low man on the totem pole. And you're the one who is having people fill out forms walking them down the hall, hand it off to somebody, that person signs, and then now you're walking somewhere. You understand the process. You have been the automation over decades, hundreds of years. That's the way that we've done it, is through people carrying out these actions. So if you understand the process, you become more valuable now in case something were to break. Those businesses still need the ability to run. Think of it as like your car, your oil, okay? I don't know how to change my own oil. And it's because I have this OnStar that tells me that my oil needs to be changed and it gives me directions to my dealer and then my dealer will change it for me for free because I bought the car from them. Why would I need to change my oil, right? But it places more value on members who understand and know how to work on cars. That's why if you've ever brought your car to a mechanic, the prices keep going up, man. That It's crazy to see how much this stuff costs now. Whereas if you had told my grandfather or my great-grandfather, hey, it's going to be $50 for an oil change, he would have laughed at you. Well, I could do it myself. Why do I need to do that? You unscrew the thing and it drains it and then you screw it back in. What are you talking about? You know. So as things get more complicated... The, the cost and the value of those associated with the old way or the understanding of the process, I think their value increases. We typically relate things back to people, product, and process. And that almost anything within a business, if you're struggling, can get solved with those three Ps. Yeah. And whenever you don't have those three Ps in alignment, you're never going to scale to whatever that is for you whether that's more efficiency, more revenue, more profit, better marketing, more customers, 
everything in your business revolves around those three P's. And it's exactly what you're talking about is if, if we have a people problem, but the people is really this intelligence information center, and that goes down, or that product, if you wanted to replace it, goes down, who are the people or what's the process that's involved in fixing that product? Right. What order do you put those P's in? Do you have an order of which ones you hold more weight? No. It's the ecosystem, right? It is. It's yeah. everything. Because if one of them goes down, the whole stool falls. Right. Right. If you don't have... So I, I see marketers or businesses hire marketers to develop these amazing products, right? We, wanted to, we want to build this $50 a month online course that does all these things. Okay, well, what's the process for enrollment? What's the process for marketing? Who are the people that are actually doing this? What's the follow-up system that's in there? What type of email or SMS marketing needs to accompany somebody once they've signed up? Exactly what you're talking about for the onboarding and the enrollment, right? There's marketing that has to go into that. There's communication, there's storytelling, there's everything that goes into that side of it. It's a process around everything. And when you have that ecosystem, which I think is a great word for that, it becomes a lot smoother because ultimately marketing's job is customer acquisition and brand image, right? Or reputation, right? Because marketing can help or hurt both. So when you, you identify that this, that's what this part or this uh, cohort of your company is responsible for, whether you have them internally as their own employees or an agency doing that work, if they don't understand that foundational credit, they're not worth anything to you. Right. They're actually going to hurt you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. You remove one, or if you diminish one, it affects everything. Yeah. It, that's why, so I became an APS over uh, the last year and a half. So an APS is somebody who takes care of bees to for the purpose of honey. And I learned more than I ever thought that I would learn about bees. But bees, there are three things that can kill your, your hive. So you, they could starve. Uh, they could get a disease. Or they could um, have an intruder come in and just wipe them all out. Bees can deal with one of those at a time. If they're dealing with hunger... And they don't have to deal with disease or an invader, then they can, you know, populate, they can get it together and they can bring in more food for, for the hive. They can deal with that. If it's illness and sickness, there are undertaker bees who can get those dead bees and the infected bees out of the hive and they can build it up and then they can survive. Same thing with an intruder. They have uh, bees that will fight off wasps. It's actually really cool. And you have beetle traps and stuff like that. But as an apiist, you have to Make sure that you're looking for those three things at all times. There are beetle traps to trap the beetles to eliminate the invaders. There are uh, sugar water that you can feed them during the winter months so that they are fed in case that they didn't get enough honey. There are ways to clean out the hives to make sure that the sickness doesn't come in. They can deal with one of them at a time. If they're dealing with all three, your hive's gone. And if you're dealing with two of them, you have a, a severe chance of a swarm, which means they just leave. Everybody leaves. 
which is actually what happened. My, my mind swarmed. So I equate that to business too. You can deal with people processes and what, what, how did you put it? People processes Pro- and product. Yep. Yeah. So I, I product and software are interchangeable for me. Um, but I do this, I do the, I, I use three too. In fact, I have a, a podcast called people processes and software. And I have a greater than sign. So people is greater than processes. Processes are greater than your technology or your solution. And because your solutions can be interchangeable, what if it shuts down? But if you deal, you can deal with one of those three being not great. Two of them and you're screwed. And then you have, a, the people will start leaving your organization, clients and your employees. Three and your business is done. And, and bees, you can learn a lot about bees, man, or a lot from bees. I, I've, I like a lot of the business stuff that I've learned over the last year is just observing this high that I ultimately failed at. So maybe hopefully it doesn't equate, but it's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Roy, but I'm with it. People I am processing and, and uh, products, right? Yeah. I love it. It's a, uh, it, once you start to understand that, that's, those are the variables, right? And there's subsets of everything, right? Of, do I have too many people? Do I not have the right people? Are my people at each other's throats? Because one of them, two of them are A players, one of them's a B player and they want that person gone. Uh, Is the product not sustainable? Do we not have the right marketing behind the product? Is Is the product just wrong for our business? And what processes around that do we have in place to either support it, grow it, kill it off, uh, sun or moonlighted or, you know, just get it out of the way. Um, it becomes a lot easier. It, it's just easier to manage. Yeah. And I think, I think that burns entrepreneurs out is we have this, um, we have this mindset that I can tackle all of them at once. And like you said, mm-hmm. same thing with the hive, you just can't, you really can't. And it, it comes down to which one of them is bleeding you faster. Right. Yeah. You got to stop the stop the the most immediate threat when you're in a when you're in a swamp full of alligators you shoot the one closest to you yeah that was what my lacrosse coach always used to tell us you can't <laughs> worry about the things that are might happen in a swamp full of alligators you shoot the one closest to you what's the one that's going to kill you we are so for for your people i got one more question for you if that's okay yeah let's do it you had just talked about your people and how you have to understand who your A players and your B players. Do you use any sort of like uh, predictive index or personality quizzes or disc assessments or anything like that to understand how people think and within your teams? I've gotten pretty good at reading people, um, but we use a simple 20 question one and they get categorized into four classes of individuals. So similar to it's, it's a combination between uh, the Myers-Briggs personality Mm-hmm. And, and disc, but it only asks them 20 questions. So they'll go through the 20 questions. Then they ask their significant other or a friend who knows them really well, those questions without showing them the answers. Yeah. And then if they both answer yes, that counts as a bonus point. Mm. And then we just add up the points and whatever one has the most in that category, that's typically where they're at. But personality is a really interesting conversation because you can have multiple personalities at the same time yeah like out of the four so we 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 balance or the way they're identified they have a riveting rhino 
So these are your alpha males. I'd like to be in charge. I don't like people telling me I'm wrong, right? And great for salespeople, Mm -hmm. horrible as CFOs, horrible as people that are customer support, wrong role, wrong personality. Then we have our orderly owls. These make phenomenal customer service, bean counters, everything inside of there's data. I need everything ticked off the box. Here's the system. Here's the process. Everything down that entire loop is great for them. We have our uh, bouncing bees. So our bees are typically great at sales. They're great at customer service. They need that constant human human interaction with a bunch of different people. These are the people in your office that they're, they're always at the water cooler or they're always in somebody else's office but they are a key individual personality to have because if you don't have that, then the team feels isolated, siloed, nobody cares about them. If the boss is a rhino and all they're doing against a bee is trying to create conflict, which isn't a bad thing, the bee's gonna get maybe put out one small sting, but the rhino's eventually just gonna trample over them. Mm -hmm. And then the last one we have is our tolerant turtle. So these are your empaths. These are the people that are uh, very inward. They're very introverted. They feel emotions deeply. People see them as kind of phlegmatic. Most of the time are just kind of like, like Eeyore's out of winning. Yeah. Like, like they're, they're there, they serve a purpose and they're great at individual roles, but I would never put a tolerant turtle as a salesperson. I would never put them as a, um, as a marketer. While they're great at understanding and having deep empathy for other people, they're not great at understanding data most of the time. It's not they can't, they don't find their home there. So it's energetically draining for them to be in that role. So oftentimes what we'll see is organizations will put multiple rhinos into a single department. So what happens? They're all banging up against each other. There's banging heads. Yeah. What happens if you put a rhino and a turtle together? Yeah, the turtle, he's they, they're going to shell up. Fall into their shell. Yeah. And they'll let the rhino just blow energy at them all day. And their defense is to shut off and stay very quiet. Mm-hmm. If, it, if you go up again, put a rhino and an owl together, which is my combination, it actually works well. Because the owl can just kind of fly away and use data against the rhino and not really mm-hmm. take offense because it knows it can't reach it. Right. Huh. But, uh, but everybody has all of them, right? You, you, right. you balance yourself out naturally because there's situations in your life where you know you have to be that individual. I'm not naturally good at being a bee. So when I go to these big, big event conferences or I'm networking, my team knows because they've known me now. I'm the person that's been with me the longest now is my director of, uh, or my COO, my operations director. He runs most of the business now from the day to day. And he knows that if I get stuck talking to clients all day, I'm exhausted, which means yeah. the next two days I'm dead. So he's acting as that AI Jarvis for me in a way of saying, yeah. I know that his based off of his personality type, he's drained after Monday and Tuesday, where if I put a networking event on Wednesday or where he has to be in front of a lot of people, it's not going to be the best. Mm -hmm. That's smart. Yeah. People can wear multiple hats 
in different scenarios too, you know, like that was what I got out of disc. Like you could be a, a bee at work and you could be a a turtle at home or vice versa, you know? And that's, and that's really common. And I think it's actually healthy that you do have those different personality types for wherever you're at. Obviously they have to be in congruence and this is where being the keyword of authentic, right? Um, I'm bad at banging out a whole bunch of marketing for myself in one push. I can do it for other people, but when it comes to me at my own job for this, it's kind of second, like it, it just, it doesn't happen the way I want it to. So I would much rather be and look at my, my orderly owl side and say, okay, these previous posts have done really well. I'm exhausted. I'm going to pull from my previous data, see where I can take this information twist it a little bit and let it roll. But when I have to put on my CEO hat, I tend to be much better as the rhino combination. Yeah. I need this done. Here's the date. I need, I need confirmation that you heard me correctly, that this is how I want it done. And we're going to move forward. And it's funny when I get asked to be fractional CMOs for other companies, I take on that rhino role more than I take on the orderly owl role. Mm-hmm. Right. I love it, man. I love it. This has been a great conversation. I wanted to get that one in there before we wrapped because I, you dropped that nugget and I'm like, I, I need to know more about that. <laughs> Personalities are a, a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and that's what people say, like managing people is the hardest thing. And I think that is true to an extent because everybody has their own life, their own agenda, their own emotions, their own perspective on things, and that becomes challenging. But if you have your core values in place, then everybody kind of has a framework in which they're allowed to work in. And if you can't work in this framework, you're not going to do well here anyway. It's for our best interest. It's for your best interest, not just us as a company and a team, but for you not to be here. And this is where like when I said there's a bunch of A players and maybe one or two B players, it's not that they're necessarily rhinos. I'm not saying they're high alpha, high elite. They're the, they're the neurosurgeon that you call in when you have a very specific problem and they're the best of the best at doing that specific skill set. Right. It's not that they have to be these rhinos that are constantly butting heads all day. Right. That's a misconception that people have, I think, is that, oh, you have to be this ultra alpha male. I mean, I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing to have all the time. You know, if you had an organization full of alpha males, it would be awful unless you were like a sales agency and that's all you were, all you were doing is selling all day, right. then you could probably get away with that. Right. But, it, but outside of that, I don't think it works. I've seen people that are 35 uh, year old moms step into sales roles that aren't that they're very uh, they're very introverted. They they know how to be empathetic. They're very much that tolerant turtle, but they also have these bee-like tendencies where they like to know and talk to a lot of people and they'll run type A rhinos over all day long with their yeah. numbers because they just connect better. Right. Different styles. Love it. Yeah. Love this conversation, man. Me too. There, there is a lot, and I hope that uh, I hope people listen, go back, and pick up on it because there is a ton of information. Uh, Roy, where can people find Capital Presence? Where can they follow you? Where, just where do you want to send them to, and how can they help support you? 
Yeah. So a wise man once told me that I should send them to one place. So I think you told me that. So I'll give them goworkwherever.com and you'll see links to my socials. There'll be quizzes there. Uh, hopefully it launches by the time this episode launches. So I'll make sure that our dev team gets it up. Uh, and you'll see all my podcasts there. You'll see a forum of how you can do business with Capital Presence. And it has all of our socials, guidebooks, resources, and uh, all that fun stuff. Awesome, man. Thanks for being here today. Guys, as always, go share the show. <laughs>